Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. Who knows what today is? Hmm? First Sunday of Advent. Well done, Beth. First, is anybody sick of Mariah Carey yet? This is... I'm sorry? Right, right. Even... Yeah, I mean, it's... it's yeah, I, I, I'm... I'm I, she's a wonderful singer. She's not my, not my favorite. Um, that, that song just gets over... Mind you, a number of years ago, they came. the other one that get, used to get played so much that they turned it into a game. Have you guys heard, heard of Whamageddon? That, that, that Wham song by George Michael and whoever his partner was last Christmas, it got played so much for so long that they made a game called Wham. You can look this up on Wikipedia or anywhere else. Whamageddon is a thing. That, that the game is how long can you, it starts on December 1st, how long can you go before you're out of the game because you heard the song? Because it's in every mall. And it's at every coffee shop, and it's on the radio all the time. And, and for the longest time, people would, would just post on Twitter or Facebook, okay, I'm out, uh, because you're going to be exposed to these songs. The other version of that then obviously is called the, uh, I can't even pronounce it, Apocarypsips or something, I, the, the Mariah Carey version of that. How long can you go before you hear her at Christmas season? It, we, it, it doesn't take too long for many people, frankly, burn out on Christmas. It doesn't help that we start putting up stuff in the stores before Halloween. That doesn't help us. Billy Graham uh, has, had said that every year he was just overwhelmed by how many letters he got from people that said that they were burned out on Christmas. Uh, let, let, me, let me be honest. I think... Uh, we, we get that Walmart does it, and they start putting up the decorations and the stuff before Halloween, and they've, they've taken a season, and they've, they've drug it out commercially to the, to the point that it's painful. If we're not careful, the church can do that too. Nothing burns you out on Christmas more, I think, uh, from experience, than, than church if it's overdone. Here we aren't out of November, and it is now Advent season. There are, somebody knows the answer to this question. How many chapters are there in the Bible? No, not how many books. How many chapters? Nobody? Patch would know that if he was here. 1,189 chapters. 1,189 chapters, and in many churches for... Four out of 52 weeks, we're only going to preach from Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3 or whatever. You know, it, we, we spend so much time sometimes focusing on two chapters. And, and, and the other 1,187 chapters, we get, they get the other 11 months and an entire month spent on, on two chapters. And it's possible to burn out on Christmas even in the church. Um, when I was a kid, I loved Christmas. It was my favorite season. Take Take out the presents. It wasn't about, oh, I get, that's when I get my, my Lego and my, and my comic books. Take that out. I like the lights. 
I like the music. I like Christmas hymns. I think they're beautiful. I, I do. I really like Christmas hymns. I love the peace on earth message. I, I enjoy what the... I, I enjoyed so many aspects of it. And, and again, it wasn't, it wasn't the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer song or the claymation film uh, or, or all the little toys that went with it. Uh, it, it was something big and, and fun and pleasant. And, and, and I, I, as a kid, I, I, I would just gaze at the tree and it just felt peaceful. And, and, and admittedly, growing up in Minneapolis, the soft snow falling Southern Illinois, it didn't snow before Christmas. That was always kind of sad to me. To me, Christmas was the... But, but we would be shut in, and you'd, you'd make the hot tea and the hot cocoa. And, and it was fun, uh, and, and it felt thankful. And as I got older and got into college, the college was, was... There was this peaceful sense at Bible college that the world was slowing down, and we could focus on, on the birth of our Savior. And when I became a locksmith for years... I, you know, yeah, I got Christmas off, but it was more than the day off. There was a peacefulness to it. There, that, that peace on earth that Jesus is meant to bring us. Uh, and, and then I became a preacher. And I kind of got bogged down by the church stuff. Uh, I, I looked forward to Christmas, and then it kind of became overtime. And I, and I kind of started to dread it more. Uh, uh, we we would we would at my previous church we would lead into Christmas with the twelve days of Christmas. I want to say that's wrong. Just you are back there, Patch. I didn't. You're behind the pillar. I the twelve days of Christmas. By the way, are the twelve days after Christmas? Uh, it's uh, the lead up is Advent. Twelve days of Christmas is after. I I enjoy the. I enjoyed the lead-up to Christmas when it wasn't overdone, but when it became work and we've got to fill the church building at all the times and, and, and wrapping presents for kids is in need is good and, and, and all the things, that Christmas caroling and, and, and live nativities and, and all these things, they're good un, until they distract. And, and we have to be careful about it. And I'm not saying don't do these things. I'm not saying churches should stop caroling and they should stop live nativities and they should, they should stop toys for, for kids in need. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. But their ministries, they're not the point. If I forget to see them as ministries, if I see them as work and as a job, and if, if they distract me from the true reason for why we do this, I miss the point. You know, as 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 Christians, we say the world misses the point. They've they've commercialized a Christian holiday. They've they've taken this historic figure of Saint Nicholas, and 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 they've ruined him and made him um, something that that he wasn't. Uh, and and I can get upset about that. That it's not about the sales. It's not about consumerism in retail and and business. That it's about Jesus. But but then I have to look at myself and say, Am I doing? The same thing. Do I get caught up in church programs and and kids programs and and, and secret Santas and, and making fudge for the neighbors and 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 do I do I get caught up in that? Uh, if I get caught up in the shallowness of 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 consumer America, what what do can, can I overwork myself that I miss the point of Christmas? Because it's not about caroling and cantatas and cookies and gifts and snow and days off. And it's not even about wise men in mangers and shepherds and angels and kids in, 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 you know, kids in stables. 
I'm not saying that those aren't part of the story, but they're not the point of the story, right? And, and we can get all caught up in, 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 the, in the dressing, in the window dressing and the side stuff. Christmas is about salvation. We celebrate the cure for the world's problems. We celebrate that God sent Jesus to die. And if we take out those last two words, we miss the point of why Jesus came. And, 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 that's why, and that's why when we talk about the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, and I hope, hope everybody knows, you know, gold, a gift for a king, and frankincense, a gift uh, of incense that was used in the temple, and the gift of priests. And myrrh was an embalming fluid, and, and, and the wise men got it, and I wonder if we forget it. It's about salvation. And when we lose sight of this, even for church stuff, we miss the point. So I want to recapture that today, the, the, the reason why we do this. And look at the historical reason for why we celebrate Christmas. And so that takes me to Genesis, chapter 3. Genesis, chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. And he said, Who told you? That you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Skip with me to verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us. Knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Fall of man is a historical event. It happened at so many levels we fell physically. You know, the parts that we skipped, God caused pain and childbearing, um, toil and hardship. This world is not an easy place to live. Um, shows like Survivor and aren't there like Trapped in the Wilderness and all these other shows. This is a tough world to live in. A uh, privilege that in in my college days, I got to go to the jungles of Papua New Guinea 
and see how those people live. And if you were to drop me off in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, I wouldn't last long. Um, these people have tried and true methods that they've had to learn and hone, and it's incredible that people can survive in such dangerous climates. Um, we are, as Americans in the 21st century, soft. <laughs> we, we like our air conditioning and our padded pews and our cars to take us places and the world. And, and, and it's hard to fight to survive without these things. Technology is great. I love that we have it. Um, but we, th- this world is, is, is arrayed against us and, 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 it, and, and existence is kind of painful or maybe very painful with, with diseases and, and, and hardships and difficulties. Physically, the, the Garden of Eden was, was idyllic and, and it was peaceful and people had, Adam and Eve had it really well there. And we've never had it that good since. That was the physical fall. But there is a spiritual fall to humanity as well at that point. In relationship with God, we're separated from him by sin. And we have uh, all of us struggle against temptation. Uh, that came with that from, from that first sin on, built into the human race, is that we, we struggle against sin. And, it, and it's easy to look back on all this and say, ah, it's not a big deal, that was them, I wasn't, I wasn't the one that was there. But we might as well have been. The consequences of sin still haunt us. It it's kind of like a hereditary disease. There are diseases out there that that if you I've I've had friends that had, I had a friend back in Illinois that had a, a, a disease and uh, and he's it's a very rare disease. There's only a few people on earth that have this this degenerative disease, and he's related to half of them. Uh, there's only you know sixty seventy people on earth that have this disease, but he he knows half of them because they're relatives, and fifty fifty chance that any sons that he had would have it uh, traveled. You know, it, it, it it's it's that kind, and and sin is like that, in a way, in a way, that that we you don't have a chance of of opting out and saying well that that's other people but not me. We we get that. Um, we can say that's not fair, God. Why did you make it that way? And fair is this wonderfully human concept that isn't very godly. Now, justice is a divine concept, and it's easy to get justice and fairness mixed up. But fair is this human concept, and, and there are so many things in life that aren't fair. Some people are born in the U.S., and we're all born very lucky, I believe, uh, uh, financially, and, and there are so many things going for us in the U.S., if you're born in, in parts of Africa or, or, or you know, I mentioned Papua New Guinea in these jungle climates, it's harder at just every level. The life expectancy in the U.S. is so much higher than it is in many other countries. It's not fair. I know that. That's, that's just the, the world is not always a fair place. We, it, things don't always even out. Um, God, uh, we can say that it's not fair that we're born with a, a, a predilection to sin. Uh, but, but God is not the origin of sin. God isn't the one that, that makes a sin. In fact, James says, how dare we? How dare we accuse God of being the one that is the author of sin that, that causes us to sin? Uh, God didn't make us with sin. He made us with a choice. Adam and Eve chose poorly, and, and you can't blame it on them, and so do we. We choose poorly. Uh, 
He didn't make us with sin, but but we have the choice to choose him or to choose sin. And we can't blame him for our sin. We have to blame ourselves. Uh, Like it or not, it's not up to us. In the Garden of Eden, mankind fell, uh, and and we've had problems with sin ever since then. And so we we ha- we have to look at Genesis and say this is the this is the creation uh, in, in the creation account. This is where our problem comes from. We have to look at Genesis as the source of our problem before we can get to the solution of the problem. And so, if if the fall of man is where it began. Now we can address our need. So now we jump to the New Testament and we look at Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Paul says everybody has sinned. I I think we know that, but just in case, it should be obvious none of us are perfect. We're all fallen. We're all sinners. Somebody could say, well, well, yeah, Jason, everybody is. That's, that's so obvious. Um, we all have mistakes. We all make mistakes, don't we all? That misses the point. Um, that, that would be, uh, think, think to the, I'll go back to the, to the, to the sack of Rome. Uh, when the barbarian hordes attacked Rome, that would be, and, and, they, and they were cruel and they were terrible and, and they burned places and they, and they, and they killed people. And, and men and women and children, there was no exception. They burned, they burned the city down. That would be like if we could go back and confront them and say, what are you doing? This is so murderous and deadly. Well, yeah, we, we, we killed some people and we burned some houses down, but everybody does that, right? That's no big deal. That's just how war goes. Just because war goes that way doesn't mean it's, it's any less evil uh, to kill the innocent. You can't write that off. We... We can't just write off our sin and excuse it and say, well, everybody sins. It's no big deal. It's still sin. It still separates us from God. It still destines us for an eternal separation away from God. It doesn't make it right. We, we have this mistaken idea that, that sin is a character flaw, like Hamlet or Macbeth, that these are flawed characters. And okay, we've got these flaws, but you know, it's not our fault. God made us this way. Um, it, it's beyond our control. Sin is not a mistake. It is it, literally hamartia, the, the Greek word means to miss the mark, but it doesn't imply trying and accidentally missing the mark. It's on purpose. It's willfully doing wrong. Um, it, but, there's, but wait, there's more. It's willfully doing wrong against God. It's when God tells us something that we shouldn't do, and we do it anyway. Or maybe he tells us something to do, and we don't do it. Uh, it. It is against God. It's an assault on him. We may not see it that way, but we're wrong. When, when King David killed, had, had, had killed, uh, set up his soldier Uriah the Hittite to die and to cover up the fact that he'd been cheating and, and sleeping with Uriah's wife, when David is caught out on that and he's called on it, 
He makes the audacious statement against you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. Now, common people would say, I think you sinned against Uriah. You kind of got him, you did get him killed. You sinned against Bathsheba. You cheated on your wives. Um, David understands that while those were things that were done wrong to Uriah, that it is against God alone who he sinned because sin is bigger than just doing something wrong. It's doing something wrong against God. And that's why if I do something wrong against you, I don't know that it's, it's, it's truly accurate to say that I sinned against you. I may have done something bad to you, but against God, it's sin. Against people, we do things wrong, but it's a, big, it's a bigger deal to God. Um, all sin is offensive to God. You can wrong me. You're sinning against God. We, there, there's a difference. All of us are sinners. All of us are divorced from God, separated from Him, by, from His presence by our sin. It keeps us from Him. It's our problem. And it's always there. God told Cain, back in, in early Genesis, Cain and Abel, that sin crouches at your door. It wants to have you. It doesn't matter whether you think this is true or not. It's always there. We, we are like Cain. Sin desires us. Quite frankly, it already has us. It, we, we are sinners. We are destined for hell. It doesn't, again, it doesn't, it's not up to a vote. It doesn't matter what we think. Satan has power, real power in this world. Somebody's going to say, okay, so Jason, so we're all, we're all caught up in sin, so, so what? Everybody's a sinner. Yeah, but God says he's jealous. God says that he won't share us with sin. We, don't, we can't have two masters. We can't be sinners and be, and be Christians. Sin disgusts him. It's not just his pet peeve. He just doesn't just dislike it. We forget that he is holy. He is set apart. And, and, and if we are to be his, we can't also be sinners. Now, this would be a very depressing message if we ended here because we are all sinners. And we've said that, you can't belong to God and to sin, and we are sinners. Therefore, we cannot belong to God. And we could end right there, and it would be accurate to this point, but God's not fair. We, we said fairness is a human concept, but God isn't fair. And so he restores us. Matthew chapter 1, now we get to the Christmas passage. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how... The birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This would be distressing if we were left to our sins. Praise God we are not. He's not fair. He doesn't give us what we deserve. The wages of sin is death, Paul says in Romans Chapter 6, verse 23. But, and, and life isn't fair, but neither is, is God. That's the good news. Although we don't deserve it, God has reached out to us 
to offer us salvation. The Sistine Chapel, uh, I still think, is good theology. Uh, It shows God straining to save humanity. And Adam lazily kind of reaching out his hand, God straining Adam. If he would just reach a little further, he, he, he could grab God by the hand. But that, for Adam, that's just more effort in the, in the painting than he's showing. It shows God's overwhelming desire for humanity and mankind's lack of desire for God. It's a very accurate depiction. Back in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, God promised that while Satan would strike at the heel of man, that the Son of Man would crush his head. Jesus would win. Jesus would destroy the enemy, the devil. Salvation came to the world through Jesus Christ. Jesus won. That, that victory has already taken place. Frankly, as Revelation refers to him as the lamb slain before the creation of the world, he won before Adam and Eve sinned. That was always, it was always the plan. It was always the plan that, that God would offer us choice, knowing that we would choose poorly and that God would redeem us from our, our poor choices. We aren't waiting for Jesus to win one day. It's already happened. Jesus is the Savior that the world needs, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Not, not mangers and wise men and, and angels on high singing. It's part of the story. But it's not the point of the story, is it? The point of the story, even at Christmas, is the cross. It still is. The point of the story is that Jesus came to die so that we could be saved. Oh, mangers are cute. Christmas trees, presents, lights. I, I like it. I do, I do like I, I do like all of that, and, and, I'm, and I'm grateful that I've hit a point in my life where I went from loving Christmas to dreading the, the time, uh, the overtime. I'm grateful that I'm at a point that I enjoy it again, uh, that, 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 I'm not too, that, that I've, I've learned finally, I think, to, to kind of separate all of that out and to, to slow down and for my own sake remember why we do it and to not get all caught up in it. Um, Jesus, that baby in a manger, was born to die, to save us from sin. And that's what we celebrate. Even at Christmas, we celebrate his sacrifice. Uh, and that's the point. That, that's the only point. The other stuff are, is, is part of the story, but they're not the point of the story. Uh, there, there is no other way than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We don't mean through the manger, do we? We mean through the cross. That's why Jesus came. We, we live in a pluralistic culture. How dare you tell me that I'm wrong and you're right? That's the biggest problem in the world. The, problem, the world has had this trouble with the church for 2,000 years. The Romans had lots of gods. The problem wasn't one more god. Goodness, when... This, when when the Caesars conquered Egypt and that whole Antony and Cleopatra thing, they brought the Egyptian gods to Rome. They didn't have a problem bringing in other gods. Their problem with the Christians was that the Christians said, but ours is the only god. And all the rest of these are not real gods. Rome had a problem with, the reason Rome persecuted Christians and didn't persecute Egyptian worshippers of Serapis and all the other Egyptian gods was that they didn't care because the worshippers of Serapis didn't care that people worshipped Zeus and didn't care that people worshipped Mars and, 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 and all these other Roman gods. But 
but the Christians said, all of that is wrong and Jesus is right. And the, and the church, and, and Rome said, how dare you tell us that you're right and we're wrong? But they kind of missed what the Christians were saying. And our world misses what we're, we're not right. The Bible is right. It's not about us. It's never been about us. And when we make it about us, again, we miss the point. It's not about us being right. It's about this being the word of God and he is right. And when we're right with the Bible, we're right. Now, the problem that the church has in the 21st century is that the church keeps trying to redo Christianity and say, okay, we need to be a little more culturally relevant. Uh, That means that this book is wrong and culture is right. The call of the church is to say that the Bible is 100% true. It's always right. It's always accurate. And, And that when we're following it, then we're then we're on the winning side. We're, and, and again, it's not about us winning. It's about recognizing what, what is truth. We realize that he is the way. His word is not a suggestion. It's what we're called to be. These words are words of salvation. Uh, and, and it's his only plan of salvation. Jesus is clear about that. That's the only call. Um, these aren't my words. If Jesus is the Son of God... He has the authority. And it doesn't matter what you or I think. I, I can't get there without him, and neither can you. I don't know the way. Nobody else knows the way. Jesus is the way. And that's the only way to come to salvation. Our hymn of decision today is hymn number 368. There, there was a, a terribly, I'm not recommending this movie. If you see it, you see it. If you don't, you don't. It's, it's terribly sacrilegious. I'll start that out. Um, there's a, there's a Kevin Smith made a movie a while uh, a number of years ago. I think I was in college. Made a movie called Dogma. Um, George Carlin in the movie plays a priest. So you already know it's very sacrilegious. Um, it, in the movie though, there's the, this interesting. Uh, there are a few good points in there. One of the points George Carlin says Jesus is so unpopular these days. He's so not with the times. We need to modernize Jesus and make him more amenable to the masses. And so George Carlin's character in the movie comes up with Buddy Christ which is this bobblehead Jesus figure kind of pointing at people and giving them a thumbs up. And, and, and it's true. I mean, I'll give him this. He's, the point of the movie is correct. Jesus is, should not be popular to the world. The message of the Bible should be offensive. And we've got churches and, and celebrities that call themselves Christians that don't act like Christians. And, and we've got these people that are saying that we need to modernize and uh, Jesus to make him fit the world. That's the opposite. That, that is the opposite of what we're after. Jesus doesn't need to, to mesh with the world. The world needs to be told that they're wrong and that they're right when, when they become biblical and when they follow the historic biblical Jesus. We, we want to change his image and water him down for the masses and make him more appealing. That's not our right. That's not our job. He's not ours to change. He is the Son of God. He is the king of the universe and the savior of humanity. And when, and when we treat him like a king, like our king, our Lord, and when we see his power and his righteousness and his holiness, we start to look a little bit smaller. Sin looks a little bit deadlier, hopefully a whole lot more deadly. And we realize that he is the way. And his word is not a suggestion anymore. He is our Lord. Um, His words are what save us. Christmas is about God showing us, meeting our needs, showing us what we need to do to come back to him. It is God reaching out to us, but it is not God 
joining us in our sin. It is not God saying, well, you guys are like this, so I'll change my standards. Christmas is about God showing us this is what it's going to take for to be saved. I have done everything, I've done the hard work. Before the creation of the world, Jesus was the lamb slain. Jesus died on the cross to, to save us from our sins. We can't earn salvation. We can't work for it. But as God strains out to us, we do need to reach out and take his hand. Uh, it, it, we still can't do things our way. Uh, grace is offered, but we have to accept that grace. If you haven't accepted the true reason for celebrating Christmas, the true purpose that Jesus came to save us from our sins his way, I would like to invite you to have that conversation today. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.